God, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we praise you, God, for those of us that are here, um, that are sitting here in this nice, warm building, God, just enjoying time together. Lord, we thank you for the worship, but Lord, we also praise you for those that are watching online. Lord, it's just been so awesome, God, to know, Lord, of so many uh, folks, Lord, that just chime in on, on Wednesday nights, God, and, and are watching online, Lord, and on Sundays. And Father, we just are so thankful, Lord, for the ability, the technology that we have, Lord God, that we can do those things. And so we praise you, Father, for just everyone that's here with us right now, Lord, whether they're here physically or whether they're watching online, Lord. We praise you for that. And Lord, we also praise you for the ability to listen to this later. God, you are so good, Lord. And, and Father, we just want your name glorified and, and, and Lord, made, uh, made famous, Lord God, be lifted up even more, Lord, through whatever avenue uh, we have to, to do it, Lord God. And so thank you for the avenues you've given us. Father, be with us now as we dig into your word, Lord. Help us uh, to glean the things that you want us to glean, Lord. And, and just be with us, Lord, as we dig through this uh, next chapter, God. Uh, Father, we just, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, we're entering a new section of Ezekiel tonight. We have gone through 24 straight chapters of pretty much God has been saying to the people of Israel, repent, 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 repent over and over and over and over and over again through Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's acted things out and he's done all these things. And last week we read, God's like, we're done with that phase. It's happening, right? And so literally last uh, week or was it two weeks ago that we actually read, it's two weeks ago that we read specifically the very day that the siege began in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel couldn't have known that, right? There was no internet. Nobody got on their iPhone and looked up you know, the news station, CNN or Fox News or whoever, and said like, oh, dude, the Babylonians just showed up and put siege walls up against Jerusalem. No, he didn't know that. God told him that. And we see him writing it out. He's like, on this day, write it down. Today, write this down. This is the day it's happening. And it was. And so they're in the process now of being, having a siege held against them, which lasted around 18 months before it was finally all said and done. And what did we read last week? Remember? God told him last week in, ver in chapter 24, starting in verse 25, he says, will it not uh, be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy, and their glory, talking about the temple and the whole city of Jerusalem, the desire of their eyes, that on that which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters, that on that day, one who escapes will come to you and let you hear it with your ears. And on that day, your mouth will be opened to him who has escaped. What is he saying? He's saying, shut your mouth. Stop convincing them, stop talking to them, right? Not that he was going to convince them, but like stop kind of trying to let them know, hey, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. He's like, God's telling Ezekiel like, nope, we're past that point. I've given them all the time in the world. They're not taking it. We're moving on to the next step. And so he told Ezekiel, hey, you're done talking about it for right now until this person comes. And we're going to read about that in a few chapters, but here's where we're at now. What we read now is like, it wasn't like God uh, did or the angel did through Zechariah. Do you guys remember that? John the Baptist's dad? Remember what happened there? He's in the temple and he's doing his thing. And, and he was like, wait a minute, my wife's old. I mean, right? And then like, he kind of had these thoughts and did this thing. And he's like, for that, you're done. You're not gonna talk at all until John the Baptist was born, right? Until John was born and he had to write it on a thing. Like, no, his name is John, right? Like he had to write that down. And then his mouth was open. And so it's like a miracle. That's not what happened here. So we need to get an understanding. He was told specifically not to talk about what was going on in Israel. He wasn't told not to talk, period. Right? We see that because he keeps talking and God keeps talking through him. So that's, that's what makes it painfully obvious. Do you get it? So here we are, we're starting in chapter 25, you guys, and for the next, um, I don't know how many chapters, clear through to chapter 32, uh, we're going to read all about these different nations, right? We're going to read all about all these different nations and how God is bringing judgment upon these different nations, these seven different nations. And it's going to go from chapter 25 to chapter 20, uh, 32. And these seven nations, you guys, that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at four of them tonight, the first four, but they are this, Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, right, the Philistines, Tyre, Sidon, and Egypt. 
Those are the seven nations that God is going to use Ezekiel to kind of like look at and say like, oh, your time's coming too. And we're going to see why tonight. And as we do that, you guys, I want us to understand a principle that we see clearly in Ezekiel. And I think we need to understand in our own lives, because I don't know about you, but whenever you read those seven, and the more we hear about what those seven nations were doing to the people of Israel, I think you're going to see some parallels to maybe some nations around the area now that we look at and might be like, God, why are you not dealing with them? God, why are you not dealing with this situation? God, why is, has these things not happened? So flip over with me, you guys, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. There's a principle here that we see in Ezekiel, you guys, that we need to keep in mind for our own lives, right? We need to keep in mind for the world that as it is today. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. says this. For the time has come for judgment to begin where? At the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You guys, we need to keep that principle in mind. God has gone through and said to his people, repent, 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 repent hundreds of thousands of times over hundreds of years. And he kept talking to them and trying to get them to come back. And at one point, then finally, he's like, okay, fine. I'm gonna deal with you to bring you back to me. I'm going to do the thing that needs done here, right? Because God is not slacking in justice. He's a just God. He's also a merciful and gracious God all at the same time. And so he's been merciful and gracious. And it's not like he suddenly took that hat off and put on his justice hat and said, now it's on, right? Judge Judy, I'm going to hammer you. No, that's not the point. He has been all that all at the same time. We got to keep that in our minds. And so here's Peter saying in the New Testament, listen, who do you think God's going to go to and deal with first? The one he loves. The one that loves him because he's trying to make a point here. He's trying to say like, don't make me go here. Like, let's, let's be cool with each other. Like, follow me, love me. Like, don't, don't make me give you a pow pow, right? Like we just shouldn't have to get there. And I don't know about you. I wish I could say that I never have to get there, but I do sometimes. How about you? We all do, right? We need to get taken behind the woodshed, so to speak. We need God to be like, hey, man, you haven't been listening to me, and I keep talking words to you. So here's this thing, this consequence that's going to teach you and, and grow you up, hopefully, right? God's doing his sanctifying work in us. We see this here, and that's what we've looked at through the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel is him trying to say, you can choose repentance. You can choose the easy way. I'm giving you every option, every opportunity, I have Ezekiel talking to you. I have Jeremiah talking to you. I have Daniel. I mean, you've got multiple people trying to tell you to stop what you're doing and change direction. Since you haven't chosen that now, here we are. But now what's next? God's like, look, don't think you're the only ones on the earth. Don't think that all the other things you're seeing around you that are wrong, I'm going to just let go. That's essentially where we're at. God is not slack in his judgment. He's sovereign. So, can I just say a couple things? And I need us to get our head around this. How many times, has anybody ever babysat a child or, a, or should I say like a, a brother or a sister or a, two brothers or whatever, two siblings, and then you hear and, the, and you'll go in and you'll be like, hey, you know, what happened? Clean that up, whatever. And you're like, I didn't do it, he did. His fault. Or, or whatever, right? Or like, no, it's not on me. I didn't, I didn't say that, they did. And it's like all this thing. Well, that's kind of what we do, don't we? God, God, why are you punishing me? I, you're my, I'm, I'm your kid. Like, I love you. Look at them. Don't we do that? What about as a nation? We do the same thing, right? I can't believe, God, that you would come against America, right? Like, there's, look at all these other countries that are so much more hedonistic and heathens. Maybe that's true, but God's like, if you love me, I'm talking about his church, not the nation, right? I'm talking about the church, people in the church, whether you be American, Chinese, or otherwise. God's saying, like, if you love me, like, we've got to go to Peter. And remember, he deals with us first. Why? Because, Lord willing, we repent and we're an example to the rest of the world of how it could look. That's the idea, right? 
It doesn't ever mean, you guys, that he's slack with all these other people and all these other countries, you guys. Can we like stay focused on the things that we are growing and learning in and trust and know that God, you guys, has it figured out? Not one iota of an action, not one thought, not one word, not one thing is making it past God or above his head. And I need us to kind of keep that in mind because you guys, why is all this here? Well, I'll tell you why I think it is. In a way, it's meant to encourage the Israelites in the fact that like, look, I, I don't hate you. I love you. I love you so much that I'm doing this, but also realize those that do hate you, I'm going to deal with them too. I think that's part of the encouragement here. The other part of this is, is that God is showing his sovereignty over the world, not just the people of Israel. I think America can be guilty of this, like Israel often was in the Old Testament. We get myopic and we start thinking like, we're, we're, we're awesome. We're people, we're humans, just like every other human. We live in a pretty awesome nation, sure. Could we fall apart in five seconds? Absolutely. <laughs> we're not special, right? If anybody's special on this entire earth, God's word makes it clear, it's the Israelites. And what are we reading about here, you guys? Them being taken away by Babylon. <laughs> so if God's okay with doing that to them, who do we think we are, right? I'm not trying to be too hard on us. I'm trying to give us a reality check of who and where we stand with God and how each of us, you guys, we have to, we have to walk through that work of sanctification, of just walking it out and saying, God, I want to repent. Like, I, you know, I don't know why God gave me that in Psalm 19, but I love what David says there. Like, man, Lord, show me even the secret sins that I don't even know I'm doing. Like, Lord, make me new. I need you to do any of this because I don't got nothing. I'm coming with need and want, and that's all I got. Lord, make something out of this. Man, if that's the heart we have, God will, God will answer that prayer. But if he's like, hey, seriously, I need you to stop treating your wife that way. Hey, man, for real, you're not being a very good friend. Hey, you haven't been in the word at all, and yet you're expecting me to hear your prayers, but I'm trying to answer you, and you're not reading, like all those type of things. And we're just like, nope, 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 nope. God will eventually get to a point where he's like, okay, we're going to go to the next step to get your attention because he loves you. And again, like Peter said, why wouldn't he start with us? And don't we so often look around and say, God, why aren't you doing that to them? Right? Or am I the only one? You guys, God's looking for repentance and humility in humanity. That's what he was looking for in the Israelites. That's what he's looking for in us, you guys. And here's the common thread you're going to see as we read through these seven nations. Here's the common threads. Pride. Pride. And again, I'm going to go back and say that we can't just look at these nations and be like, oh, look at those losers. Look at those prideful, arrogant jerks. Because if we're doing that, we got to look back at us and be like, boy, we can be just as prideful sometimes, can't we? We can walk in the same amount of pride. And so I think that's a common thread in humanity, right? But this was the common thread in these nations. They were prideful. Now, here's some other things. Happiness. They were happy in the destruction of God's people. They were happy with the destruction of God's temple, and they were happy with the desolation of God's land. They were happy about it. So tonight, we're going to be examining these first four nations that are mentioned here. And I want to put up a map so you can kind of see uh, kind of where they were at in relation. So this is like at the time in history that we're in, this is kind of what it looked like. So you know, that's all the promised land. Even over to the right where, M where those three nations were, that was the first part of the people that were over there, right? Some of the tribes settled over on the right side with the agreement with Joshua that they were going to go across the Jordan and go defeat the other side. Remember when we went through Joshua, we talked all about that. Do you see how much they have given up already? So there's the people of Ammon, the people of Moab, the people of Edom, the Edomites, right? And the Philistines, which is the modern day Palestinians. So do you see, these are the groups that we're going to be talking about tonight. So let's start reading. Verse one says this in chapter 25. The word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned. 
and against the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. Indeed, therefore, I will deliver you as a possession to the men of the east, and they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings among you. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk, and I will make Rabbah, which is one of their cities, a stable for camels, and Ammon a resting place for flocks. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands, stamped your feet, and rejoiced in heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel. Indeed, therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as a plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples and I will cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you and you shall know that I am the Lord. So this judgment against Ammon, you guys, they stepped out. They stepped out in excitement, right? They were super stoked when Judah was falling. They're like, yes, finally, these guys are getting what they're deserving. Mm, They're all happy, right? And can I say something? They had zero reason to gloat, zero reason to gloat. Do you guys remember? Flip back over with me to Ezekiel chapter 21. They literally were in the process. uh, This group, Ammon, it was a 50-50. It was like a coin flip, right? For Nebuchadnezzar, whether or not he went and took them over or went to Jerusalem and took them over, took Judah over. Do you guys remember that? Flip and read with me. Chapter 21 of Ezekiel, verse 20. See if you guys remember this when we talked about it. This is God saying in the future this was going to happen. It had already happened. It just happened, right? It says, appoint a road for the sword to go to Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah into fortified Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road, at the fork of the two roads to use divination. He shakes the arrows. Remember we talked about how he would shake the arrows and pull out the, and let whatever one fell out first or went out the longest, that was the one they'd pull and look at. He consults the images, which we talked about, were actually severed, shrunken heads of children that he would consult to find out what their eyes said or what, what, what that all meant and where they were supposed to go. And then it says he looks at the liver. Do you guys remember that? You guys, there was literally a 50-50 chance of where they were going to go. So these guys are like, ha ha, look how much better we are than you, you losers. You're getting taken away. And God's like, dude, yeah, like, you actually think you made it out of this? It, like, I could have just as easily been like, whoop, and sent them the other direction. Like, come on. And so that's what he's saying to these people. He's like, look, you have no reason to gloat. It was literally a 50-50 shot. And it was only because of me that I chose to go the direction I went. Right? Amon, you guys, decided to make the best of their calamity too, right? They They didn't have a great deal of land like we saw on the map. They were kind of a tiny little group comparative to Judah and the northern kingdom. That was like a big chunk of land there. They didn't have much. They weren't, uh, you know, indeed in like kind of, they didn't have a lot of ground, but what they did have was a lot of money. As a nation, they were a very wealthy nation because the King's Highway kind of rolled right up through there and that was where all the big trade was, right? Pennsylvania as a state, like we're growing up there, right? You got like a bunch of trade routes that run through there. So that Carlisle, Pennsylvania, there's certain hubs that are like well-known. There's a lot of industry and a lot of money to be had there in the logistics world and different things. Why? Because of the roads. That's all it has to do with, which is funny because Pennsylvania has some of the worst roads in the whole world, but that's different. Well, (laughs) anyway, you guys, here's what happened historically. They came in when Judah got wiped out, you know what they did? They came in and they're like, sweet! And they came in and they just plundered it and they took, took stuff and they took land and they just kind of had a heyday. They were just like, awesome! God, their God took them out. We're taking it over. And they come in and they do what they want. They're like, kind of like saying, basically when they said, aha, they're kind of saying like, what luck? What good fortune we've had. Right? Like, oh, look at the windfall that we've got because of their, their downfall. Can I say something? This is nothing new, is it? Look at the way the world operates today. Look at capitalism. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just saying, as a whole, capitalism is like you kind of, for, you make a fortune sometimes off the misfortune of somebody else or off the misfortune or the missed, misstep of another 
company, don't you? And I, I mean, that's business. I'm not trying to go too deep in the weeds here, but what I'm getting at is people jump all over another person's mistake because they see the value in it for themselves, don't they? That's kind of just part of our human nature. It's not a good thing. It's not a godly thing. It's not a morally high ground. There's no moral high ground there, right? And people will say things like, what? Oh, it's just business. Is it? But it, we hear that phrase all the time. And what does that mean? I hosed you. I took advantage of every last way that I could of your misfortune. <laughs> but it's just business. No hard feelings. That's kind of what Amon's doing here to Judah. And we see what God thinks of that. He's not happy. Think about this, you guys, because that's big picture, right? Like capitalism. What about this? Have you guys ever gone into a store and something's rang up and it's been the wrong price? Do you guys ever have the temptation to be like, and take advantage of that? I have. Thankfully, the Lord was like, no. And then I say, no, I don't, I don't think that's right. And then it's so funny because a lot of times the cashiers are like, no, I think it's right. And they'll kind of argue with you. Like, no, I really don't think it's right. I think it's, it's more, right? Like we'll be quick to argue if the price is wrong higher than the other way. But like if it's lower, we're not quick to argue with that, are we? And it's just in us, you guys. No one volunteers information if the mistake is beneficial to them typically. What about this, when businesses go out of business? Nobody shows up to the business. And I'm not saying these things are inherently 100% wrong. If a business goes out of business, selling it at like way percentage off, they're actually still making money. They're recouping. That's the idea. So it's not like a bad thing. But I just always am like kind of disturbed when you go into a business that's going out of business because it's like a bunch of ravaging like wolves. And you're like, where were you when they were trying to sell their wares? Now you're like, ah! It's 80% off. You know, you're like, goodness. And it's ridiculous, isn't it? Doesn't it feel kind of dirty? I, I don't know. Am I weird? Everyone's like, yes, but okay. Doesn't it feel dirty though? Let's go back to that part. You guys, there's just something in us. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here in this nation is that they're coming in and they're taking advantage of the, the biggest disadvantage, death and a taking away of an entire people, it's, it's not good. That's the mentality they had here. And so here's the deal. God is making it clear through this prophecy that, listen, that's not going to last long. They can go in and take over all this ground from Judah that they're like, sweet, it's ours. Dude, it only lasted a couple months, and Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped them out too <laughs> and took them. The men of the East is what God used to describe this. This is debated. It makes the most sense to me that it would be the Babylonians. But remember too, there are Bedouins that are all through this area at this time. As a matter of fact, there still are, right? There's Bedouins still over in the Mideast that are just like whatever. Like when I was in Kuwait, you would see guys with these huge tents set up with a like satellite dish sticking out the top, driving their Mercedes Benz up to the tent. But they were Bedouins. So they would pack their tent up right? And then get in their Mercedes and drive to the next place that they were going to take their sheep and they would do that. Like that's just how they live. That's their thing. And it's still that way there. Well, back here, you guys, there were people. And that's where some, so we know historically two things. The Babylonians did come in. We're not told exactly in the Bible when, but Josephus, if you guys know who that is, he was a Jewish historian and he wrote a bunch of different Jewish histories. They're not like scripture. We don't take them that way, but it's a reliable source of history, of biblical history, of things that happened in the Old Testament. And so uh, historically, right? So we're not told in the Bible itself exactly when all of this gets played out, but we are told in, by um, Josephus that about five years after the fall of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar went in and just wiped out three different nations in those five-year periods, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians. And so according to Josephus, we see that Nebuchadnezzar went in and did that. We know that historically. It's not just Josephus. It's other sources as well that tell us those things. The other thing we do know, though, is that these Bedouins came in into these lands that where Ammon was, right? And they went in and they're like, oh, great. There's good grazing fields here. And they just started taking it. So do you see that? Do you see both of those things? So we know historically that Nebuchadnezzar came in and did it, but we also know these Bedouins took advantage of it, not in a mean way, but they were just like, nobody's here and we've got sheep to feed. Like, let's, let's let them eat, right? And so we see that here. He said, I will make Rabbah in, in verse five, 
a stable for camels, and Amon, a resting place for flocks. What's he saying? You might think you're hot stuff. You might think that you're doing such great things at the expense of other people, but dude, your land that you're so prizing is going to become a place where sheep graze. Verse 8. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir say, look, the house of Judah is like all the nations. Therefore, behold, I will clear the territory of Moab, of cities, of the cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth, Jeshemoth, Baal, Maon, and Kirjathium. To the men of the east, I will give it as a possession, together with the Ammonites, that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations. And I will execute judgments upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So Moab was going to be taken out by Babylon at the direction of God as well. And Moab and Ammon, you guys, I need, as I was studying, I came across this and, it, and I was reminded of this. And it's such an interesting tie. Do you guys realize that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon were kind of like cousins, essentially, to the Jews? Do you guys know that? Do you know how? Genesis chapter 20, we're not going to flip there. Verse 30 through 38 talks about this incestuous relationship that Lot's daughters had with their dad after Sodom and Gomorrah. And guess who was born? Moab and Ammon. And so from those two, from that incestuous relationship that was just disturbing, remember Sodom's, you know, Sodom was there. They were in Sodom. The Lot's daughters were there. They got... They, they come out of that, right? The mother dies and they get up into the mountains to just hide. And, and the daughters obviously were influenced by Sodom because they're up there and they're like, man, we're never gonna have kids, right? The whole world's gonna be exploded essentially. They're just like not thinking right. They're just like whatever. So they're like, you know what? Who cares what God says? Like, we're just gonna sleep with our dad so we can get pregnant and have, have boys. And so they ended up getting their dad drunk, which speaks not very highly of Lot's. Uh, walk with the Lord either. And uh, they got him drunk and slept with him to make sure they had children. So the moral state of these daughters had obviously been corrupted by the moral state of Sodom, hadn't they? Can I just say this? Little side note. If we choose to kind of like bathe, so to speak, in the moral state of the world, we will look more like the world. If we choose to just kind of reside in the midst of sin, it's going to corrupt us. It's going to affect us, even if we think it's not doing it. Remember, you guys, Abraham said to God, hey, if there's, if there's this many righteous people, then you're gonna save Sodom, right? Like, you, you, you won't do anything to that. Yep. And then he get them all the way down to 10, and then finally God disappeared because he's like, no. And how many people came out of Sodom, you guys? The two daughters, Lot and his wife, four people. One died. Do you guys get it? Even Lot, who was righteous by the standard of Sodom, slept with his daughters. I don't care how drunk I am, I think I'm gonna figure it out. Just being real, right? Like there was something twisted in this family and I think that Sodom was the problem. Can I just say, you guys, it's a reason to stay plugged in. It's a reason to stay in the midst of what God's wanting to speak to you through his word. It's a reason to be continuing in prayer and a relationship with him, but it's also, you guys, a reason to be in church. So often we hear these things and we think like, oh man, the, the pastor just being legalist. Oh, I don't need to be at church. Yes, you do. Keep hanging out in the world, you'll start looking like the world. Keep hanging out in the world and you will eventually just feel like church isn't really worth anything because that's what the world says. So, here's the sad part, you guys. God, again, was going to remove Moab. Why? Because, again, they were excited. They were super stoked. Like, look at these guys. Here's the sad part, though. Do you notice what their little cut was against Judah? It says, look, the house of Judah is just like all the nations. The reality is, is that wasn't an untrue statement, was it? They were just like all the nations. They weren't supposed to be. They were God's people. They were supposed to be going to the temple and sacrificing and, and repenting and living a life that was separated and separate. 
And they weren't. They were following after every other thing and putting their babies into the hands of Moloch and going and having sex with temple prostitutes and doing all the stuff that the world around them was doing. So in a way, Moab is not wrong to be like, oh, look at them. They're just like everybody else. And I hate it. I really, I cannot stand it. When you hear things, people come to me and be like, man, someone was saying this about me. And, and I look at their life as a Christian and as a brother or a sister in the Lord. And you're like, man, I, I, I can't 100% disagree with them because you are kind of looking like the world, right? It's sad. It's sad when, a, when an unbeliever can look at you and be like, yeah, you're just like me. You're totally just like me. We should be different, you guys. We should have a flavor that's different about us. We should be salt and light. Shining light in darkness, salty, right? So we're tasty. There's something different about us. And people are like, I don't, I don't know what's up with you, but I want to know more about it. You guys, the reality is though, here they are, gloating, happy, joy, joyful, you know, about this idea that Judah's fallen, right? Because, oh, look at them. They're just like us. And God's kind of saying like, mm-hmm, they are just like you and I took care of that for them. But now I'm gonna come take care of you because guess what? You're just like them, right? Like you keep gloating and you don't, you don't realize that I'm actually God and you shouldn't be gloating over the destruction of my temple and of my people and of my land because I gave that to them. And so he's like, that's not gonna last. Very unwise. Keep reading, verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, cut off man and beast from it and make it desolate. From Timon, Dadon shall fall by the sword. I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people, Israel that they may do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, says the Lord God. Do you guys notice a difference there? So the first two, we know Babylon came in and took them out. Why is Edom? How is Edom going to be taken out? Edom is going to be taken out in a different way. God says to Edom, my own people who are just now going in to captivity are going to take you out. That would be terrifying to me if I were another nation. It should have been terrifying to them. It speaks to a lot of different things. It speaks to the fact that we have a God, you guys, that is outside of time. So he can make a statement that doesn't happen for a really long time, and it's not like he suddenly forgot about it. We need to keep that in mind. We need to remember that, don't we? God, you promised this to me. He did. When that promise happens is not in your timeline, it's in his. Guess what else he's promised to us? He's promised to us this, this justification. We're justified in his sight, right? Like that's what happens when we accept Christ, we're justified. So he sees us, you guys, as a finished product. Is that the reality of our situation here on earth? Heck no. We're walking through and being sanctified moment by moment by moment by moment by moment for however many years we have left before he returns or as he returns or until we die. But guess what? We're no less justified in his sight and we're no less perfect when we get there. It's something we've got to keep in our mind is that God is outside of time so he can make these crazy promises that for us in our human flesh look at and we're like, how God? Well, because he's God. And we can rely on that and say, yeah, God, I trust that. I trust that I am justified in your sight, God, because of your son. I trust that you're doing the work of sanctification in my heart because you said you were. And I see it through time. So, eat them. Here's the deal. God tells them, look, not only did you rejoice in the defeat of Israel, in Judah, right? But apparently, guys, what we're reading here and what it, what it kind of speaks to us is that they had a part to play in it. And we know historically that Nebuchadnezzar, they kind of came along and they're like, oh, you need help over there? Let me help you. <laughs> and they came in and they were super violent. So they didn't just come in and, uh, and, and kind of help squelch Judah and, and do that. No, they were like brutal in the process. They were just completely brutal. 
So flip over with me to Lamentations. You guys know that this is the book that Jeremiah wrote after the siege was over and after all that had been taken away. He was offered a place to go back to Babylon and be one of the people like Daniel. Did you guys know that? And he refused it. He's like, no, I, I would rather live here in poverty. And they gave it to him because they were like, the whole time, what was Jeremiah saying? Submit to Babylon. Don't keep going this way. Recognize that God's hand is in this. And this is what's happening. That's what they kept saying. So the Babylonians, when they came in, they found Jeremiah who was in jail at the time. And they're like, look, do you want to come back with us? Well, we see that you're wise. We see that you're a smart guy. And he said, no, I'd rather stay here. So the general said, okay, fine. And they let him stay. And so then he wrote the book of Lamentations as he stood over the burning heap of Jerusalem. He wrote this book, but here's what he says in chapter four of Lamentations, verse 16. It speaks of this uh, coming judgment against Edom. It says this, the face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regarded them. He's talking about his people, right? The Israelites. The people do not respect the priests nor show favor to the elders. Still our eyes failed us, watching vainly with, for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains, and they lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was caught in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. What is he saying? He's like, laugh it up, Edom. That's what he's saying. Laugh it up now because your time's coming. That's what he's saying. Right? Literally, Jeremiah is like, that what you did, God's going to repay. It's coming. So you might think you're special. You might think you're, you're good and everything's good. You're not good. It's coming. You guys, historically, we know this was happened. This happened. This took, was taken care of, you guys, around 109 BC during the reign of the Maccabees. And this, just to give you a timestamp biblically, was in the time frame between, historically, between in the 400-year period between the book of Malachi and Matthew. So in that time period, you had the Maccabean revolt, you had the Maccabees, right, which means hammer, right? Jacobus Maccabeus was this guy, and he was known as the hammer. In other words, he was a beast. And he came in there, and he just crushed a bunch of different people, and the Edomites were one of them. And so we see their destruction. It actually happened. Did it happen quickly? No. No, it didn't, but it did happen. Verse 15. Finishing off the chapter, it says this. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of their old hatred. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Cherethites and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. You guys, Philistia, if you notice, received the worst punishment of this whole group. Did you see that? Do you notice that there's no mention of the men of the East? Did you notice that there's no mention of Israelites coming in and doing this? This is the only group out of this first four that God's like, oh no, I got you. I got you. That's terrifying. You guys, God himself is saying, I'm gonna be the one that executes vengeance here. It's my job. I'm doing that by myself through me. And I wanna talk about this for a minute because guys, the Philistines... Ancient Philistines are the modern-day Palestinians. I am not against any human being. I pray that every Palestinian comes to know Christ. 
I pray that every Egyptian, every everybody comes to know Christ. It has nothing to do with that. Do you understand? But do you also see, you guys, historically, why? This, this, I, this battle between the Palestinians and the Israelites has been going on for a very, 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 very long time, you guys. Very long time. You guys, the Palestinians have been fighting. David stood up against a Palestinian named Goliath. Do you remember? Like, this has been for a very long time. And, and God even mentions it here. He's like, look, they're happy and they're stoked. Why? Because of their old hatred. These guys have not liked each other for an extremely long time. And so it's naive for us in the day that we're in right now to be like, well, it should be easy. Just be peaceful. <laughs> You guys, we can't even begin to understand this. As a nation, we are not even, we're babies in comparison. What do we have to offer this? Do do you get what I'm getting at? So let's just set politics entirely aside. That's not at all what I'm talking about. What God's saying here is that, listen, he's going to take care of this. And I praise the Lord for our brother that came and spoke and his wife right? From Pakistan. Do you remember? I praise the Lord for them. I praise the Lord for our Christian brothers and sisters that live in Muslim countries that maybe came out of that faith and that they're growing and they're learning. And I pray and thank God for them because they're missionaries over there and they're, they're doing their best to just say, Lord, what do you have for us over here? And, and how can we make your name known? And like I said before, you guys, Iran right now is the leading country for Christianity. It's the fastest growing Christian nation. Let me rephrase that. It's the fastest growing group of Christians in a nation, right? You guys, it's amazing to see what God's doing. And so again, God is grace and God is just all at the same time. And so when we read these things, especially knowing that God still hasn't really dealt with this yet, has he? You guys, I believe it's clear that when Jesus returns, that if this group the Palestinians choose to join the Antichrist in that final war, they're going to be part of that, and God will judge. It will be judged. There is not one human being, right, today or ever, that is not going to stand before the Lord. We know that. Revelation tells us that, right? So again, I go back to the very beginning, you guys. What's our job as Christians? Worry about what God's speaking to us. And trust that he's got it. Trust that he's got it. And I want to say one more thing, you guys. If, if anything shows out tonight, to me it's this. You guys, being in the military for 15 years, do you know how often I heard things like, man, we, I'm so glad you went over there and just bombed the snot out of those people. I'm not glad about that. That's terrifying. That's sad. Human beings lost lives. Do you get my point? We should never gloat. I think we see what God thinks of that. So I pray that no one in our church, if we end up going to war ever again, I pray that no one in our church would say things like I heard doing the Iraqi war, where it was like, let's just turn the whole place into glass. Let's just wipe out the entire, let's drop a nuke on them and stuff like that. And I'm like, right. And, and how does that make us better than them? <laughs> And by the way, not them, not 98 or 99.9999999% of the people in Iraq. No, the 0.00001% that actually wants to do us harm. Right? How does it make us better? It doesn't. It's a wrong way of thinking. We need to have grace and mercy and love for people, even our enemies. And so I would just encourage us as a people, you guys, look, I don't think things are going to get peachier and keenier and better as time goes on and as time progresses. I think Revelation makes it quite clear that we're on a downhill slope. I don't suddenly think it's going to catch an uphill and we're going to be in utopia in a couple years. I just don't see it. Right? But the reality is, you guys, on that downward slope, man, I want us as a church, I want we, us as a people, as Christians, to be reading his word, to be looking at Christ and saying, man, like, can you, Lord, teach me how to love? God, can you teach me how to love even those that are unlovable? 
God, can you give me a heart of compassion and mercy? And at the same time, Lord, have absolute trust that you're going to justly deal with every human being, me included. And so I'm thankful, Lord, that you dealt with that on the cross. And I pray that for every other person. Do you get it? So, you guys, tonight as we read, we read about these four different nations and the reality is they're all being judged because of their zeal for destruction and specifically because of their zeal to see God's people and the temple destroyed. God doesn't take kindly to that. We see that some of them actually took part in the brutality. The consistent thread though that I want us to catch and if you guys noticed as we read through, did you hear how many times God said this? You shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am Lord. They shall know that I am the Lord. We hear it over and over and over again. And you guys, that's what I've named the message tonight. They shall know that I am the Lord. I just want to say a couple things. God, you guys, does not revel in destruction and punishment. It's not, his, it's not like his thing. It's not his bend. It's not, his, he doesn't, it's not his happy place, right? He's a creative God. He created us. He created this world. He created everything. He's a creator. He desires to bring life. But the reality is, is he's equally just. And he's also not just going to let sin run rampant forever for no reason. He's a just God. This idea of justice, this idea of like equal equality, right? This, this sense in him of saying like, look, if there's evil in the world, I'm going to equalize that. There will be an equalizing moment. And that sometimes happens quickly, like we saw here through Nebuchadnezzar in different nations. And sometimes, like through the Philistines, it still hasn't happened. And God knows when that is because he's perfect. And he's perfectly just. Amen? So I want to read a quote by Tozer that I was reading uh, the other day. I've read this quote a thousand times, but it stuck out to me today. It says this. God's justice stands forever against a sinner in utter severity. The vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the conscience of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity while death draws near every day, draws every day nearer. And the command to repent continually goes unregarded. As responsible moral beings, we dare not so trifle with our eternal future. Do you guys get what he's saying? Christian, are we here tonight living our lives in light of the reality that God is a just God? Because if we are, you guys, if we've truly grabbed hold of the fact that in God's justice, he poured all of it out on Jesus and that we've accepted that, do you see God's grace and justice equally together working? And do you see that we get the just, uh, or I mean the reward of saying like, man, I don't get what I deserve. I get this merciful thing, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me, that all my sin was poured out on Christ. And I get to look at that and say, yes, that's it. I'm with that. I, I'm, I'm, that's my only hope. That's the thing that's going to get me through. That's the only way I'm going to get to heaven is through him. Are you living in light of that, you guys? Because there is plenty of people in this world that have taken the opiate of like, God's not a bad God. He's a nice God. He's not going to do anything mean to me, really. Yes, he is, because he's a just God. And if you don't accept the way that he's poured out his justice, he will pour out his justice on you, and it will not feel good. It'll be an eternity in hell. And I'm only saying that to us, guys, because as Christians, if we are not living lives that are shining that out to other people, not in legalism and not in this weird thing of like, you stink and look at me and how good I am. No, a reality of who you are is in Christ is this. You're just as stinky as them. I'm just as stinky as you. I know Jesus. You know Jesus. That's the only thing that makes us good. It's the only goodness to be found in us. 
And so if we get a hold of that, you guys, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change the way we live. Imagine if Judah had lived that life and what the other nations around would have seen. Imagine what the outcome of all that would have been. It might have been drastically different, but we don't get to know because they didn't do it. You guys, last verse, flip over with me to Titus. Titus is such a good book. They're all good, but I like Titus. Titus chapter two, starting in verse 11 says this, you guys, I just wanna end with this tonight because it's important. It's important. When I read about these four nations, you guys, it breaks my heart because Judah had an opportunity just like we have an opportunity every day to go out and live our lives for Christ. To say, God, man, you're way more important than all these other things in my life. And Judah didn't take advantage of that. So reading Titus chapter two, verse 11 says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And I wanna say one thing about this section, you guys, as we close. Here's the truth. Are we capable of doing any of these things in our own power? Not one. Not one of these things. So what does it require of us? It requires of us a submission to God. It requires of us a submission. That's what it requires. The same thing it required of us to begin with. It's a free gift, but you have to submit and say, yeah, I want it. Right? But there's also this idea in us to say, God, I can't do this on my own. Strengthen me. God, I can't do these things that I read in your word. Can you fill me up? Amen? And so let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.